This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Welcome to Through the Ringer. I am your host, as always, Tate Frazier. And boy, do we have a good show today. We're going to talk about the NBA playoffs with our guy Waz in studio in L.A. He's going to be right here next to me. We're going to break down some of the biggest storylines that we've seen so far. Warriors, Kings, Draymond, the stomp, the Sabonis grabbing of the foot, you know, all that sort of stuff. Also, the Athletic uh, asked 100 NBA players who was the most overrated player and the most underrated player. We're going to go through all that with Waz. So going to be a lot of NBA heavy stuff on the show. Also, we got our guy from East Coast Bias, Raheem Palmer. He's going to come on the show and explain to me what's happening in the world of boxing. I try to stay up on boxing, but, you know, um, I'm not Jim Lampley. Even though he's from Hendersonville, North Carolina, I'm from Henderson, North Carolina, so we're not the same. Raheem Palmer is going to come get us up to date, get us up to speed. Great match this weekend uh, on Saturday on Showtime, so excited for that. And also, if you're a fan of prop culture and succession, I'm going to do a little update at the end. We got, you know, some information this week. Uh, we got some interim uh, suggestions, some some designations on the show. So we'll do the updated odds on succession. Again, it's a full show on Through the Ringer. Excited to have you back. Let's get into it. Welcome to Through the Ringer. I am your host, as always, Tate Frazier, and I am joined by one of my favorite people here at the Ringer. He is Wozni Lambry, and Woz, big week in the NBA playoffs. A lot of drama we're going to talk about, but first and foremost, we got to talk about Draymond, right? Yeah. That's the big story. A suspension comes down for Game 3. What was your first takeaway when you saw this? I was kind of surprised, honestly. Uh, I think So the- was Draymond. I mean, he should he he should and he shouldn't be for mm-hmm. for several reasons. But I think first and foremost, the actual infraction, one he was provoked by you know clearly some bush league maneuvers by Demonis Sabonis that he pulled the guy's leg. Yeah, he did Sabonis cur- said he was doing that for his own safety. Lies. That was <laughs> Kurt Angle esque mm-hmm. ankle you know uh, turn right there. And then you know the actual retaliation. What he didn't stomp the guy's chest for real. He definitely hit him with his foot in the chest. Um, but there was no obvious injury. Uh, people online have pointed out that he was doing chest bumps with his teammates directly after. He played the rest of the game completely fine. Um, So it's not like this guy's missing time for some major injury. So I'm surprised because the infraction didn't seem that egregious. It's everything around it, though. Draymond's own history 
of doing crazy things in the playoffs, like kicking guys in the private part. Yeah, Steven Adams. Um, yeah, the, lots situ- of guys. the situation with LeBron, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a history. Memphis last year, he's got an extensive history. So he can't be too surprised, but the foul itself seemed pretty minor to me. So that's the question, really. So if this was any other player in this series, let's say Jonathan Kaminga does the exact same thing. He comes down, Sabonis grabs his foot, and then he stomps on his chest and then jumps off like a Super Mario brother, like Draymond did. If Jonathan Kaminga does that, is he suspended for Game 3? Absolutely not. There's no chance And I think we all happens. know that. So it does go to show that, like, there was repeat offender, you know, that, that was under the ethos of this decision, right? Adam Silver said, if it was anybody else, probably not a suspension, but it's you, Draymond, of all people. Yeah, but at the same time, isn't that why they implemented some of these other rules when it comes to the 16 techs and the blah, 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 so that they can deal with this on the way? The idea that you could use his history from seven years ago to suspend him in a playoff series like this, knowing um, the stature of the guy, like another person like Steph Curry, we know he would not be suspended for this. Absolutely no chance would Steph Curry be suspended for the exact same infraction. I think the league is a bit heavy-handed, but also you can't feel sorry for Draymond. He kind of understands that he has a terrible reputation at the league off- league's offices with this kind of stuff. He knows how important he is to his team. He's not some bit player. He's their best defensive player by far. Um, So you can't feel bad for him, even if I feel like this was the wrong decision on the part of the league. And it happened with about seven minutes to go in the game in game two, and then the Kings go out and De'Aaron Fox closes out that game. And now as we forecast ahead, we're going back to the Chase Center. We know the Warriors are a different team at home than they are are on Mm -hmm. the road, um, but they don't have Draymond. And like you said, I mean, Draymond, he literally is out there to run the defense. He's the captain of the Warriors defense. He's obviously been up for defensive player of the year. What's the impact on this game? And then what do you look for if you're the Kings? Because there's kind of some pressure on the Kings that you need to win this game, right? In game three, because there's such an opening here. Yeah, I would say it's not really hard to understand the impact in the sense that the Kings were the NBA's best offense uh, by offensive efficiency um, with an ra- uh, offensive rating of a- about 123 around mm-hmm. about, which was, you know, incredible, famously all-time great level offense. Um, in the seven minutes after Draymond stepped off of the court um, in the previous game, they scored at a rate of 151. Uh, so, you know, they scored at a rate that would obliterate uh, their own record-setting pace this season as the number one offense in the NBA. That's how impactful Draymond Green is on the defensive end. I think there's, you know, guys that can come in and step up. You you mentioned Jonathan Kaminga. He's going to have to play a heavy part. Andrew Wiggins is going to have to be even more integral than he's been so far. But, yeah, he is the linchpin of everything they do on defense, not just communicating the guys, but being a guy who can switch out onto perimeter guys at the end of shot clocks, being the sort of quarterback at the back line of the defense, directing guys where to go, and being a rim protector in his own right. Like, you you can't discount how important he is on defense to the point where I... I'm of the belief that he's the best playoff defender in the NBA. 
Uh, and so, yeah, they, they're going to have their work cut out for them um, in game three. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the game is called also. I saw after the game there was a lot of focus on Looney and Sabonis. There was one particular rebounding play where, you know, Sabonis comes down and he basically just pushes Looney in the back and he goes out of bounds. <laughs> and the Warriors fans are obviously, you know, mm-hmm. circulating this video as they do. So I want to see what happens at the Chase Center. Does Looney get it some benefit of the doubt? And then the, there's a pettiness to this series now because you mentioned Sabonis. The Kings put out an injury report saying he's questionable for game three because of a bruised sternum how much do you buy in that into that and how much of that is gamesmanship in this series overall this is wwe stuff <laughs> right. the whole thing feels like it, wwe it really, i should probably have david shoemaker here to explain it's, what's it's, going no, on but seriously it, it's it's echoes of vince mcmahon showing up with a neck brace mm-hmm. um after having been stone cold stunned or something it's like this is this is nonsense and we know there's a lot of acrimony between the two franchises because sacramento was you know, obviously seen as the little brother Vivek, uh, famously was formerly a minority owner of the Warriors before he bought this um, interest in in the Sacramento Kings. Uh, it, uh, people who are close to the team say that he obsesses over trying to emulate what the Warriors do because of the outside success that they've had. And so, obviously, there's this weird dynamic between the two teams. But it's just, you know, like, Shams puts out a report that this guy's a sternum contusion that he's, uh, you know, recovering from. When we watched him, mm-hmm. you know, bruise and batter his way through the rest of that game, drawing fouls, you know, getting offensive rebounds, doing, like, the dirty work, you know, uh, uh, that it takes to be a big man in a series as physical as this one. That's just silliness. Yeah, speaking of silliness, uh, one of our guys, KOC, he came on the show on Tuesday and he we talked about Jordan Poole I asked him what can Jordan Poole do in this series to change things he said you know brazenly that Jordan Poole is not a good basketball player we got aggregated uh, for the first time on this program so that was a lot of fun okay. what do you think Jordan Poole can do in this series to, to get things right at home because as we know role players tend to play better at home in playoff series Quite frankly, he's got to make shots. He doesn't really bring much else to the table, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that's the problem with these offensive-minded sort of tweener guards. He's not much of a table setter. He's not going to play, make, and set other guys up. Although his effort on defense has been better than you would normally sp- expect from Jordan Poole, but he's not anybody's idea of some defensive stopper. So. He's not when he's not contributing to scoring. We know he's not going to do much else while he's out there. So he plainly he has to make shots when they present him present themselves, and he's got to make guys like De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk work on the other end of the floor um, as part of defensive strategy too. Like if you're tiring out these guys, you know Steph's going to do that. We know Clay's going to do that. Um, he has to do his part in that regard too. So he's got to make shots. That's the, the I, I know that's not hard hitting analysis, <laughs> but when you when it comes to a guy who's this one way in right. his contribution, your offense has to make up for the fact it. that De'Aaron Fox is hunting you on yeah, defense and trying to find it's you. Tough to, it's tough to watch. At it's, times. it's tough to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes. You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. 
little, you know, ringer NBA group chat last night. We were all talking about the Russell Westbrook KD, yeah. you know, that kind of game within the game and uh, forecasting the playoffs. We talked about series we were looking forward to. This is one of the ones we yeah. highlighted for that reason. And there was one particular block last night yeah. early in the game where Westbrook, who is he's kind of just become like the patented like chase down blocks where he's coming behind mm-hmm. Booker and KD and, and getting deflections, getting blocks. But in that moment, it felt very personal, right? It's so interesting because on that very play, he's doing the thing that KD sort of one of the one weaknesses that's ever been cited of KD's offensive game is his inability to like get open. So Westbrook is like hardcore fronting him and denying him the entry pass. KD figures out the way to get get the ball, gets sort of blows past him, and Westbrook <laughs> runs up and blocks him from behind. And, you know, it could have been called a foul, but, like, you could tell there was, like, a palpable professional contempt. I don't know that he hates the guy personally. But, he but clearly, on a basketball court, man. Yeah, he hates him. He, he, <laughs> he absolutely wants to destroy the guy. And that energy, you know, adds another dimension to something that, you know, can just be viewed as another playoff game. So that's been really cool to watch the Westbrook um, and and KD element. And then, of course, you know, Chris Paul, man, playoff after playoff, we watch him go through these ebbs and flows. And, and, and last night was an example of him sort of, you know, reemerging as, wow, this guy can be one of the best players on the court in any series when he's right. And he had a mid-range barrage making all of his shots. And if he's going to do that, uh, the Suns are going to probably go to the finals, to be honest. Um, however, we've seen Chris Paul do this in spurts uh, the last few years and in his body breakdown. So we'll see what he, what he does going forward. Yeah, and it was interesting last night because in game one, kind of the fallout, right, all the conversation after the Suns' loss was, why is Kevin Durant only taking this amount of shots? And I think he had 11 shots about midway through the second quarter last night. How much of an emphasis was that for the Suns? It did feel like KD kind of carried them in the first half, and then, like you said, CP3 and Booker, you know, the two guys that have been there kind of closed out the game. Yeah, I mean, the idea that they need to force-feed KD, I think is a bit overstated. Mm -hmm. Um, They need to make sure they're doing enough stuff around the KD isolations and so that the defense has to, you know, sort of second-guess where they allocate their resources to. Uh, Chris Paul... And DeAndre Ayton is making it a very tough proposition to try to guard that pick and roll with just two guys. Uh, Zub, God bless him. He's been playing his heart out, but his contests just haven't been enough. Uh, especially, well, game two, it wasn't enough, I should say. So I don't, I don't think that. Obviously, we want to see KD. If you're a Phoenix Suns fan, you want to see KD get the ball more. I don't think that was necessarily their problem. I thought they got pretty decent looks. They just didn't make them. Um, They did a concerted effort of getting up more threes this game, but still not enough. Like, these guys shot 50 mid-rangers this game. 32 of 50 from mid-range. That's not like the diet of modern basketball analytics where you're supposed to be taking threes and getting to the rack. And so... I don't I don't think their game plan needed to shift it that much because if you're getting enough attention from what KD does on his own and what Chris Paul is able to generate, and Devin Booker was just so magnificent at attacking, rotating defenses and closeouts, they, they got enough to score efficiently. And you mentioned Chris Paul, and we've talked about Chris Paul and his magnificence, but one of the uh, most amazing streaks in all of basketball was Scott Foster versus Chris Paul. <laughs> he was undefeated. And he went into this game. He was tweeting before the game, like, looking forward to seeing you out there, CP3. I, I mean, this feels very brazen behavior from official, in my opinion. But last night, Chris Paul exercises his demons. Do we think he's over the Scott Foster curse? Is it officially over? 
I, I this is hard for me to say that after one game <laughs> okay. with years, years. You're saying of Scott Foster's gonna come back? Legitimate he's, he's animosity between these two. Like it's legitimate to the point where everybody knows these guys right. hate each other. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm glad he was able to uh, get over it one game. But you know, but at the same time, I like that it's out in the open in the sense that people can monitor the behaviors of this officials. If he's doing something quite egregious, everybody's gonna know about it, and everybody's gonna understand the reason why. So, at a certain point, it's good for entertainment, but it's also good just for transparency purposes. Yeah, I have uh, one of my my hottest takes in all of basketball is that I think the former players should be the officials. I think they should be the refs. I think they should be the ones making the calls, and I think that should, that would eliminate a lot of things. And then the personal bias would be there. We'd see a lot of guys squaring up. You know what I mean? I I think that would be great. Imagine Kwame Brown calling a playoff game. I mean that that would be quite <laughs> tough for Chuck calling one of KD's oh, yeah, games. Chuck for instance. Call- yeah, that'd be that, great. That would be qu- quite hilarious. <laughs> I don't know that most former players are in good enough shape to do this. That's Have you true. seen Ray Felton lately? Uh, that's my a, guy. That's my guy. He was at a He's Nick looking game. well fed. He was at a He's Nick game well recently. Fed, that know? was tough. The Felton family's eating. We're happy. We're up. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> He's not, he won't have to uh, go to any soup kitchens every now and again. But, yeah, I don't know that former players might be I'm in shape enough to do that job. That, that, that's a fair point. I wanted to ask you, I mentioned, you know, Westbrook versus Duran. Obviously, that's going to be mm-hmm. a focus. But last night after the game, there was a bump, um, you know, that was talked about. And it was between Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul. And then people were trying to read into it. Our guy, Chris Haynes, he said he personally witnessed this exchange up close. Chris Paul gave Kawhi a pat on the midsection. Leonard slapped Paul's leg. The bump was an accident. Um, but it, but a lot of people were reading between this. And then if you watch the game, there was one. Kawhi doesn't complain to the refs, right? That's the one thing. We know about he doesn't barely doesn't talk you know mm-hmm. uh, but at one point he hit a little mid-range jumper over Chris Paul Chris Paul hit his wrist he runs back to the officials and is yelling about it probably at Scott Foster Chris Paul comes down hits a mid-range back in his face and then he says something to Kawhi then they had this bump after the game is that the under the radar rivalry happening in this series because maybe Chris Paul is still a little upset that like you know he was a Clippers franchise player Kawhi's now the franchise player of the Clippers or am I reading too much into this I just think the guy that has shown an ability to not engage in literally any, like anything, anything that isn't scoring <laughs> or locking fools up. Mm-hmm. I, I just have a hard time believing he would play into Chris Paul's antics. Like he just doesn't engage. He just will not do it at any point. And we know Chris Paul is trying to gain a a quote unquote edge at every single moment. And and he's the type to try to take on the project of getting Kawhi Leonard to respond to his ridiculousness, but I just, I just don't. I have a hard time believing Kawhi um, could fall for Chris Paul, especially because Chris Paul, you're not going to guard me, and even when you do, I'm going to destroy you. Uh, I, I have a hard time believing Kawhi would uh, engage in that stuff. And what are you expecting to see? We get back to L.A. Obviously, the Clippers have the Suns coming here. Do you think that home court advantage is as pronounced as it typically is for the Clippers? No, I mean, have yeah. you ever been to a Clipper game? I, I <laughs> it's not. It's not. Our boss, much, Bill Simmons, will be there. It's it's <laughs> not much of an advantage. Um, I always tell this joke: the loudest that it gets in that place for Clipper games is when the Chick Fil A free chicken 
is on the line. They have a special. Rightfully if, so. If in the fourth quarter the opposing team misses two free throws, uh, you get free chicken if you have the Chick-fil-A app. <laughs> it never gets louder. Yeah, download that app, Clippers fans. It never <laughs> gets louder in there than on that second free throw mm. when people think they're going to get free chicken. So, no, I don't think the home court is going to make much of a difference for the Clippers. I'm interested to see what the Clippers look like at home because traditionally you would say they did what they had to do on the road. Mm-hmm. They stole one game. They come back home. In theory, you win two games at home and you're in control of the series. But, you know, obviously you don't have PG. They looked a little limited offensively at times in this game. And when you have, you mentioned the mid-range guys, when you have three guys, Booker, Chris Paul, and Kevin Durant, that can all get to their spots and score at will, that drains on you. And then, oh, wait, we have a vertical, you know, guy over the top and mm-hmm. DeAndre Ayton with the lob. So, the Phoenix Suns are going to be tough to deal with. Uh, let's flip to the East and talk about the 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, great nickname, Brooklyn Bridges. How do you <laughs> feel about that nickname? I, th- I think it's the best new nickname around. That's, that's actually quite new to me. I did not realize that that's what they were calling him. I want to give a shout-out to uh, my, my homie, uh, Mina Kimes, who was one of the most famous Brooklyn Nets fans in media. She got mad at me when I suggested that Mikel Bridges wasn't, you know, he couldn't be some <laughs> primary perimeter mm-hmm. guy. He's proven me wrong in this series. So, oh, shouts to Mina for, for being right about that. And Mikel Bridges for being fully embraced by the Brooklyn faithful and, you know, actually playing well. You know, sometimes you get an opportunity and it just doesn't pan out, but he's doing, he's making the most of it, honestly. Yeah, yeah and it's, they've been fun to watch. And it's kind of, of ironic with the Nets where it's like when they didn't have Harden, KD and you know Kyrie, they've always been fun, right? Before mm-hmm. those guys came we, the D-Lo teams, the, mm-hmm. the Dinwiddie first iteration teams, they were a lot of fun. Those guys leave, now Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, everyone's having a great time watching and pulling for them and I kept thinking to myself, if Kyrie was just on this team, if they just had like a, an all-star point guard with these two perimeter de- defenders, I mean they're a legit like I mean like Brooklyn's a legit team, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I guess maybe that's just me like no i no, i hear you i like look the the theoretical Kyrie, mm. the on paper Kyrie, right. yes on this team a guy who can legitimately be a, relied upon to break down set nba professionalized defenses is a valuable asset in every single playoff series that's and close out games for and you. close out for those reasons right somebody who can puncture defense draw two you know that's what quality offenses are built around that mm-hmm. ability that Kyrie brings to the table but you know we we've, we've kind of seen this movie uh in what three different stops now that are in right. dallas and it's you know it's been the Kyrie experience experience roller coaster whatever you want to call it um let's talk about the six because they're always a roller coaster. They're up 2-0 in this series. And they have, you know, kind of been deemed as one of the three teams in the East that can make it to the finals just because, you know, you got an MVP candidate. You got a former MVP in James Harden. Do you trust the Sixers to handle business and get this series, you know, wrapped up in four or five games? Yeah, they'll wrap this up in four or five games. Absolutely. I trust them to do that. I mean, this is as fun as we said the Brooklyn Nets are. They were like 13 and 14 after the trade. I mm-hmm. mean, it's as fun as that can be, <laughs> right? Uh, I But I what I will say, um, sorry, Chris Ryan, is that if you watched game two, James Harden got to the free throw line no times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the refs are not 
they're not doing this with him, which has been sort of a pattern once the playoffs start for him throughout his career. It's his weird, foul-seeking behavior is not rewarded in the playoffs, and he's forced to just beat guys one-on-one. And as he gets older, that's become harder and harder for him. He's just relying on these nasty step-backs and, and vomiting up floaters while he's trying to, you know, draw cheap fouls. So that's something to keep your eye on when he goes up against a team with the defensive you know, especially on the perimeter talent that Boston possesses. Yeah, yeah I, I don't trust this team much more after, you know, yeah, their ability to beat up on a 500 team. And the step back works when you think that they can step through and get by you. And when you don't think that's going to happen, you obviously are going to expect a step back. And that's why Harden, you know, everyone's like, man, guys are all over him. But I think the the fascinating part of this Philadelphia team was, I mean, he got put on the bench at one point. He was the starter as a younger guy. But, I mean, Tyrese Maxey, I think, is the one that really can be the other all-star. Right with Joel Embiid, so maybe if you believe in Mad Maxi, there's a chance that you can buy into the Sixers just because of Embiid. I mean, Embiid is that transcendent, but we'll see what happens with this team. Yeah, I the thing is that their prospective opponents, man, whether if they somehow by some miracle are able to beat Boston and um, Giannis is able to come back. Uh, and play for Milwaukee and see them in the conference finals. I just think they have so many answers to throw at Embiid and make him uncomfortable. And then, you know, it's going to be on the Maxis. It's going to be on the Hardens. And and I just have way less confidence in their ability to carry the load against the, the two best defenses in the playoffs left, which are Boston and Milwaukee. Like, I just don't see those guys as the level of players that can, you know, uh, score, uh, generate efficient offense against that that level of defense. Quickly, are we worried about Milwaukee at all? I mean, Giannis is has been proven to be a bit of a cyborg in this re- regard. Like That's seen- what worries me, the fact that he actually went out with this contusion. I know yeah. that Giannis is, you know, this is an, an Anthony Davis thing where he says, I can't move my arm, and then the next play he's dunking with the same arm. This is Giannis who would yeah. fight through anything. I mean, I remember in 2021 in the finals, they had to bench him in the first quarter because he couldn't catch his breath. That's right. how amped up he was, right? That right. That's who you're dealing with. So the fact that he left a playoff game, that, you know, I, I'm I'm a little concerned. You know, I'm not saying I'm full panic button mode, but I'm a little worried about Milwaukee. Yeah, I, again, this is the guy that uh, hyperextended his knee, came back and just was dunking all over people in that same 2021 playoffs. Um, right, against Atlanta. We, we thought it might be an ACL. He yeah, might be and, done. And he was just back, and he was just, <laughs> Yeah, was I've never like, seen anything like it. It was as if nothing ever happened. Right. And so, you know, part of me wants to believe that they view Miami as um, such a non-threat that it's like, you know what? We could drop this game if it, if if that's what it comes down to. We're gonna ultimately beat this team. Giannis will be back and it'll be fine. But you know they're saying he's doubtful for tonight, which is you know it's better than questionable. But I I think I think a lot of that might be gamesmanship, and that Giannis is gonna ultimately play and he's gonna dominate. Yeah, and then when he does play, he usually does dominate. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less, and one because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, 
NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. Um, they are in complete control of this series yeah. with the Hawks. Um, the Athletic went ahead and they asked 100 NBA players who the most overrated player was in an anonymous player poll. This is, you know, we love this bit, you know, overrated, underrated, mm-hmm. properly rated. Um, the leading vote getter as far as the most <laughs> overrated player in the NBA is in this series. He is Trey Young uh, with 14.8% of the vote. He doubled up the next closest players, which is Julius Randle and Pascal Siakam. <laughs> um, do you agree? Like, do you think Trey Young is the most overrated player? Not to put you in a spot but that's what the hundred random NBA players said about Trey Young I mean some people like a few of our colleagues might say that's still Jordan Poole mm. but <laughs> don't get aggregated but, <laughs> watch out <laughs> but I, I understand the sentiment right uh when Trey Young has made all NBA teams he's made multiple all-star teams he um, led the league in points and assists last year just straight up not an average but overall right I mean that like he is no, putting up a, numbers. He's a quality player, but mm-hmm. I think what you're speaking to, that players just see his style of play as not a winning one. Um, he doesn't inspire people to be them best selves. He's not... Kevin Herter probably would be the most recent example, right, that I people mean, point to. Listen, I'm, I'm the captain of Herter Hive. And yeah. Yes. You're a Red Velvet guy. Yes, oh, big time. <laughs> um, you know, upstate New York guy. I got to give it up to, to Kevin Herter. But, yeah, no, I... I don't think he is somebody who can be considered to be a leader of men. And sort of the stature that he's been placed, the pedestal that he's been placed upon in Atlanta, um, that's usually reserved for the type of guys who are leading your franchise, the Damian Lillards, so to speak, of the world, the Steph Currys or whatever. Like, people have sort of been treating him, especially in Atlanta, like that type of guy. He's gotten two coaches fired mm-hmm. already, right? Like, that's the kind of respect that's commanded of a guy who's delivered results for their franchise, um, and he hasn't done that. And so I can understand why players see the sort of treatment that he's getting internally and be like, why are they doing all that for him? Mm-hmm. Um, and he beat the Knicks that one time. He did, he did beat uh, <laughs> uh, uh, an inferior talent-wise <laughs> uh, team in the New York Knicks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that has a layer of it because, you know, as someone from the South, you know, Atlanta is our capital city and sure. New York is like, they tell us what to do, basically. So the fact that Atlanta got one on New York, no. I think they're just hanging their hats on that for as long as we can. It wasn't that long ago, Waz, two no, years ago. No, look, and, and look, and, and I can say I'm somebody who – might have got too excited about the, um, their success in that playoffs. They ended Ben Simmons' career as mm-hmm. we know it, basically, in that same playoff run. And I was super high on them coming into last season. But when you watch them play, there's just this is a listlessness. There's no connectedness to what they're doing. And that falls at the feet, to me, of the most prominent player on the team. If you can't galvanize the group to be on one accord, then you're not much of a leader. And so mm-hmm. you're therefore not that much of a star, in my estimation. And so for somebody who was high on them and thought they had you know, a great level of talent and not able to put it together in ways that was just like they didn't play hard on a night-to-night basis. Trey Young acting like he had won four championships and say, you know, we could be bored by the regular season. He said that publicly, right? Um, This is the guy who's leading that team 
um, as if they had, you know, they just had plaques on the wall, you know, like it just it just showed me that this guy wasn't ready to to lead a group and sort of needed a humbling. So I understand why people are like that guy's overrated. Well, they beat the Bucks in Dubai. Uh, people forget this <laughs> back in October. So congratulations. <laughs> Hang the banner. Um, in case you're wondering, the most underrated players, Drew Holiday, Mikel Bridges, Jaden McDaniels, Jalen Brown, De'Aaron Fox. This is a good question we have here. Do you buy the idea of any of these players actually being underrated? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people don't watch Minnesota games, so they don't understand that McDaniels is an all-NBA defensive level and caliber of player. There were times when him and Anthony Edwards were giving you, I mean, not to be, you know, sacrilegious, but MJ and Scotty vibes. No, 100%. Like, he is an incredible defensive um, uh, player. And I think most people don't really care about that end of the floor. Drew Holiday has traditionally, because his game is less flashy, it's not a bunch of step backs and, you know, dropping 30 every night. What what he does to perimeter talent uh, on a night-to-night basis is just crazy, you know. And the through line with that is what these guys do defensively. So I would tend to agree with that. Most of the best defensive players in the league don't really get their just due as far as their impact on team success. So I, I think they're actually kind of right on okay. that. Yeah, and the final thing that they asked in this poll to the 100 NBA, the anonymous 100 NBA players, <laughs> uh, the greatest player of all time was, was the question. Oh, Lord. Mike, yeah, this is a tough one. The GOAT debate, as the kids say, MJ, 58.3%, LeBron, 33%, Kobe, 6.8%, Bill Russell, 1%, and this is going to blow your brain, Tracy McGrady, T-Mac, 1%. And look, that I, was Kevin Durant. I, I will go on the record. That was Kevin Durant. As, as somebody who. <laughs> that was Kevin Durant. We know this. Listen, I, I was a fan. I was a sentient being when Tracy McGrady was in his prime. And, you know, when I would get into it with Kobe people, I would say, like, when Tracy McGrady's body was right, he can go toe to toe with Kobe. It um, used to be Vince Carter. It used to be Tracy McGrady. And it used to be Kobe. 100%. And everyone kind of had their camp that they fell into. And 100%. they defended. Yeah. I, I, was, I was in the team at camp. Just to I was be in the Vince camp. You know con- what I mean? Contrary. Like, who's jumped over somebody in a game? 100%. Vince was, again, (laughs) these are incredible, (laughs) you know, wing players. Um, But, no, he's not one of the greatest players of The greatest, singular. I'm I'm just – I'm surprised that LeBron got 33% to Kobe 6. Uh, you, you, You get this sort of narrative that Kobe is this cult figure amongst actual NBA players, like, just from, like, the amount of people wear his sneakers um, and play in his sneakers as compared to LeBron and, you know, the kind of people, the Mamba mentality type of stuff. There's nobody like, you know, LeBron mentality in their freaking social media profiles, right? right? Um, nobody's winning the championship and calling LeBron directly after the way Kyrie did Kobe. I tend to think of Kobe as the NBA guy. Uh, so to see him, um, people the, pushed him being the logo, right? Even Jerry yeah, West said he would sign off on that. One hundred percent. So I, I'm surprised by that particular number, LeBron versus Kobe. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting to see or to figure out who they asked. Uh, again, we will never know, except for Kevin Durant, who voted for Tracy McGrady. But um, <laughs> everyone else, it's a bigger question, and I do find it fascinating. I do, you know, want to point this out as an MJ guy, only player to win the scoring to be the leading scorer in the NBA and win Defensive Player of the Year in the same season. Yeah, Michael Jordan is. You know, Probably the greatest player that's ever played it. Like it's, but he would never call himself that. 
and that's why he probably gets it. You know oh I mean? my God, that's he would the difference. Ne- he would never. That's the difference. Call, he would never. He call would never call himself that. that. Oh on the record. Oh on the record. Have you seen the Last Dance doc? Yeah, I watched oh, okay. it multiple was, times. Was that not him calling himself the greatest of all time? He said, "I don't have to say it. You can watch it." Yeah, and, I don't and there's have ten, to, and there's ten parts. I don't have to say. It. I'll just produce a documentary <laughs> and make up stories about Cleveland Cavaliers that mm-hmm. never happened. Right. And, you right. know, self-aggrandized. He's like, this is what Danny Ainge said to me. Danny Ainge is like, I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's self-aggrandizement to a ridiculous level. But I love The Last Dance, and right. I think it served as effective propaganda. And by the way, like, the only reason I do this job, the only reason I ever picked up a basketball is because of Michael Jordan. So, you know, I'm firmly in the Mike camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the way that people talk about this, you would think that people like Kareem didn't have a case, LeBron or Bill Russell. Right. When, in, in all actuality, they definitely do. It's just... I think when you just add up everything, just the the cultural impact, the fact that people like Kawhi Leonard, DeMar DeRozan, like they've modeled their games to all-star levels, all-NBA levels after Michael Jordan, who retired 23 years ago, 25 if you count the original or the second one. Um, that's all you need to know is that even to this day, there are people that are taking stuff from Mike to take their game to the next level. And we watch Kobe do it at the highest level. I mean, that was 100%. my favorite thing about Kobe. Not that I was pulling for Kobe, but it was like I was I remember 1998. That was really the last one that I remember. And, you know, Michael's last run with the Bulls. But then Kobe kind of carried that baton. For another decade plus. Yeah, it's like nobody in the league, like there's no big men who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, in the summer, I'm watching Artist Gilmore tapes in order to be Shout a more out to effective, the A-train. Uh, to be a more effective big, right? Mm-hmm. Like it just does not happen. Mike is the only person who is still to this day a blueprint for wing players when it comes to his footwork, when it comes to you know how he would set up his mid rangers. Like he's the only person that's still able to um, affect that kind of influence on guys. And so, like, just with that, it's like, come on. You got to give it to Mike. One last thing. Right now, as we sit with the playoffs going on, what is one team that you're like, I like their chance? I feel like they're right now the favorites in your mind. I still got to give it to the Celtics. I think top to bottom, they're the most well-rounded and complete team. I I don't think... Tatum is as high level a superstar as Jokic, as KD, as um, Giannis. However, I think the parts that are around him are so much more complementary than everybody else's. Um, and just this, the floor of the talent on his team is so much higher than everybody else's. And that's what I think will carry the day. But I don't think they're like way better than anybody. I just think they have the greatest margin for error because of the collective talent that they've assembled. And I think ultimately that will win the day. Their um, positional versatility at the most important spots, what they could do at the big position, what they could throw out um, as far as rim protection, as far as, you know, the type of bigs who are mobile enough to guard out, out in space, out on the floor. And then their freaking wing depth defensively is insane, right? Uh, Marcus Smart, Tatum, Brown. Uh, I'd even put Derek White in there. Uh, they just they just present so many solutions. Um, and in a playoff series, you want to be uh, able to withstand any matchup. You don't want to have your success be tied to, you know, getting the uh, perfect matchup. And so... 
that's why I think they have the strongest chance. I just like their um, positional versatility and the the um, talent. Yeah, and I, you know, if you look at that team, right, the number one guy, like you said, Tatum might not be the best number one guy, but they have the best number two guy yeah. by, by a long shot. And I think Middleton was right there, but with the injuries and stuff this year, hasn't been playing as much. I mean, some I think people, make, Brown's some that people guy. would make a, 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 an argument for Devin Booker, for sure, in the mm-hmm. sense that I think right now he's probably the best shooting guard in the league, which is kind of crazy to think when, you know, I, I would say only like three, four years ago, people were questioning whether he was even a winning player. You know, is he a empty stats all-stars? Bill might say. Um, and so, like, I, I think Devin Booker definitely has a claim to that. But, yeah, what, when it comes, like, just what they're able to do rotationally and not just, just have no zeros ever at any moment of any game where, you know, I'm watching... I'm watching the Clippers play yesterday and throwing out small lineups with Bones Highland in it. And I'm like, you can't, you can't throw out a small lineup and have Bones Highland right. be one of the people in your rotation. Like, that obvious area um, to attack, right? Boston will never put a lineup like that out there this entire playoffs. And so that's why I think um, what they're doing, uh, people should pay attention to. Well, there you go. He is Waz. Thanks so much for coming on Through the Ringer, man. We will have you back, and we'll keep up with everything happening in the NBA playoffs. Anytime, brother. This episode is brought to you by Ugg. Y'all know Ugg is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at Ugg.com. And now we have one of the stars of East Coast Bias joining us. He is none other than Raheem Palmer. Raheem, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. You know, it's, it's always great to, you know, be on FanDuel TV. So um, thanks for having me. Right. So every Wednesday, go check out Raheem uh, on FanDuel TV. East Coast Bias is a show. It's a great one. And we're bringing you on today because we need to know what's happening uh, on Showtime in the world of boxing this weekend. It is one of the most anticipated fights of the year. Uh, We got Gervonta Davis taking on Ryan Garcia. Both guys are undefeated. Davis 28-0, Garcia 23-0. What do we we expect to see this weekend, Raheem? We're going to see some fireworks this weekend. I mean, look, you got two guys with power you got two guys with speed um you look at javante tank davis he's 28 no with 26 knockouts you look at ryan garcia 23 and 0 with 19 knockouts so i can assure you somebody's getting stopped this weekend yeah, absolutely. And uh, here's where it gets really interesting for the common fan, right? The casual fan that may not know so much about boxing, even though, like I said, it's a very anticipated fight. But Monday night, both fighters were on IG Live together, and they decided to bet their entire fight purse on the winner Saturday night. Loser gets nothing, no money, so you get knocked out and you don't get a paycheck. So that sounds like a double entendre of pain right there. Uh, what, what did you read into this and how insane is this bet? Um, I actually thought it was really insane. But, you know, we've seen in the past that a lot of boxers, they like to bet on themselves. I mean, we saw Floyd Mayweather when he fought Conor McGregor. He sent somebody to, you know, the casino to actually bet the under on the fight. So, I mean, this is quite <laughs> common. Um, I'm not sure if they're actually going to go through with it or this is just a promotional thing. But, I mean, it's provocative. So it, it, it gets you even more hype for the fight. 
Right. It gets the people going. And that's what you want when it comes to the world of boxing, right? You want people tuned in. You want eyeballs there. It made me think, though, is there a world in which we could see this in other sports, right? Like if if Aaron Rodgers goes up against, you know, Josh Allen and they're saying whoever wins the game, like you get the other one's paycheck. Like it could have happened in the NBA playoffs, Raheem. Are we going to see this happen more? Because I, I am uh, I'm invested now. I don't think we're going to see it happen in the team sports um, just because, you know, obviously you got some guys on the team who are making more than others. And, you know, you just you never want to, you know, mix gambling with team sports. I think it's a dangerous precedent. So I don't think we're going to see that happen, unfortunately. All right. Give me give me a pick. Give me a pick. Yeah, I need a pick. Yeah, we got to go Javante Davis by knockout, minus 145. I think, you know, you, that's tremendous value for that fight. When you look at the fact that, you know, Javante Tank Davis, I mean, like, this guy is stopping everybody. And, you know, like, this guy has, according to CompuBox, he has the highest power connect percentage at 47%. And you look at Ryan Garcia, he leaves his chin down, he tends to gas out. And then one thing you got to understand about this fight is that it's taking place at a catch weight of 136. Ryan Garcia has complained that he feels that they're trying to drain him for this fight. You know, he's t- like he's had some fights at 140. And then also there's a rehydration clause. So he can't, you know, go up to 145. He has to stay, you know, within, you know, 136 or so so i think tank is gonna stop this guy um and i think it's gonna be around the eighth round so you know later minus 145 on tank to get the knockout well there you go raheem palmer he's letting you know what's gonna happen in this fight we'll be locked in can't wait to watch it all right now let's flip to the nba because i have you here we got the odds in front of us and we'll start in the western conference this is all according to our friends at FanDuel sportsbook we got the Phoenix Suns at plus 220, the Nuggets at plus 280, the Warriors plus 550, Lakers plus 550, Kings plus 700, and the Clippers at plus 1400. Where do you see value in the Western Conference right now, Raheem? You got to go with the Denver Nuggets plus 280. They are the number one seed in the conference. And look, they're going to get through the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're eight and a half point favorites tonight. So, I mean, they should be able to get through that series. But when you look at the Phoenix Suns, they don't have a lot, they don't have a lot of depth on that bench. You know, it's really just Kevin, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul. And Chris Paul is creeping up on Larry Holmes' status, flabby and sick. I mean, I know he he <laughs> he, he knocked down some shots last night, but this is not a deep roster. And they're also a perimeter-oriented team that doesn't take a lot of threes. And it looks like they're going to find themselves in a war with the Los Angeles Clippers. They're going to beat up on each other, and then they're going to have to take on Denver, who has one of the best home court advantages in sports with all that altitude. I think they're 34-7 and at home this year. Denver should be able to get through that series. And then, you know, I look at the other the other side of the bracket. The Warriors are in trouble. I mean, they're they're down 2-0 to the trouble. Kings. And then, you know, the Kings are a young team. And then, I mean, you look at the, the Grizzlies and the Lakers. The, the Grizzlies don't look good. The Lakers are kind of an older team. I just think the Nuggets, I mean, they're the cream of the crowd. Plus 280 is a, a bargain. Yeah, it's it's nice when you can get the one seed at some value. So I like that pick. I like what the Nuggets, they've kind of been under the radar too, which is nice for the Nuggets. And we saw them make the the Western Conference Finals in the bubble. When you have Jamal Murray healthy, when you have Jokic playing at this level, I think that's a really good pick. And I'm still worried about the Clippers if I'm the Suns. You know, I'm not forecasting and looking ahead if you're the Phoenix Suns right now, despite all that talent that you mentioned on that team. 
All right, let's flip to the Eastern Conference. We got the Boston Celtics at plus 125. We got the Milwaukee Bucks at two, plus 200. The Sixers at plus 330. Cavs plus 1,900. Knicks plus 2,300. And the Heat at plus 4,200, even though the Heat won game one. Um, where's the value in the Eastern Conference, or should we just pick the Celtics? Yeah, I mean, I think we should just pick the Celtics. Everybody knows this is a two-team race in the Eastern Conference. It's between the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. But the one thing I will say about the Boston Celtics is I think they have a higher offensive ceiling than what you're seeing from the Bucks. We saw the Bucks in game one of their Eastern Conference playoff series against the Miami Heat. They scored, they shot just 24% from three. And all throughout the Mike Budenholzer era, they've had these weird offensive performances to where they just can't score efficiently. And, you know, you can't do that against the Boston Celtics. I think the Boston Celtics, last time they played the Bucs in the regular season, you know, they made a statement. They beat them by 40. And so I think the value is on the Celtics. They're going to be taking on a Sixers team who, you know, James Harden, he doesn't look good at all. He was three for 13 the other day. And, you know, since his Achilles injury, he hasn't been the same guy. So I think they should be up, beat up on the Sixers. Milwaukee, they still have issues with Miami. That's, I mean, they're down 0-1 right now. And then they'll have to take on the winner out of the Knicks and the Cavs. I just think the Celtics are, are the cream of the crop. They're the best team in the East. They're the deepest, highest offensive ceiling. I would take the plus 135. Well, I think that's, that's some good value there, and I think those are both great answers if you're an NBA better. He is Raheem Palmer. Again, the show is East Coast Bias. You can watch it on FanDuel TV every single Wednesday. Raheem, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. And thanks for having me. I, I want to tell you guys, I am interviewing Javante Tank Davis tomorrow on the show, so you might, you might want to check that out. It'll be out Thursday or Friday, so check that out, and then you know we'll break down the fight in more detail. There you have it. One of the best journalists in the game right there. Raheem Palmer, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Always honor. All right, there you have it. We just went through the ringer with Waz and Raheem Palmer. That was a lot of fun. Great show. Uh, learned a lot about, you know, big picture basketball takes and what's going to happen in boxing this weekend. But before we let you go, we got to do a little update on what we did last week. Prop culture, the succession plan. And uh, myself and Van Lathan, we sat here. We tried to speculate and forecast what we were going to see heading into this week, because guess what, folks? Spoiler alert, there's no more Logan Roy. So succession, the succession plan was on, and we gave out two guys uh, at plus 250. Kendall Roy, right, at plus 250. I said Roman Roy at plus 250. Uh, one of the other odds that we had out there was all three Roy kids at plus 600. Uh, apologies to Shiv. That is not going to happen. Uh, so far, we have Roman and Kendall. They have teamed up. Um, so if you took one of our guys, uh, I think it works out that way. But again, we're not done on succession. You got to keep watching because this is just an interim hold. We still got the Gojo deal, right, that we got to go deal with. We got to go fly across, you know, to another country. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some shenanigans at play, as, you know, we saw in the little preview for this week. So um, updated odds, uh, Kendall and Roman right now together, they're going to be minus 400 because uh, the board has already approved of it. Um, it looks like it's happening. It's right there for the taking. But as we saw on uh, the will that uh, or the, the little sheet that, you know, was an underline, was it a cross out? But the big question to me was the question mark, because our guy, cousin Greg, was at plus 10,000 and he is on the paper as Greg question mark. He tried to uh, to say that maybe meant that uh, he was number two in command. Um, Frank and, and Carl laughed at that, but also he might not be wrong. So uh, updated odds. Greg is now at plus 500. Uh, you know, the books are getting crushed 
uh, with all the bets coming in at plus 10,000. So Cousin Greg is in the mix. This is not done. This is an interim basis. So updated prop culture, that's where the odds are right now in the world of succession. We'll keep that updated. We'll have our guy Van Lathan back. Um, Again, this has been Through the Ringer. That's it from L.A. I'm your host, Tate Frazier. We'll see you right here on FanDuel TV next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans at Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com.